0: Bad Sex. Written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 38. In many ways, the transition was proving the hardest part. It had been so straightforward, being resolutely single and fucking away whenever and with whomever I fancied or didn't fancy, but could still enjoy sharing a few hours of horizontal jiggery-pokery with. Before that, it had also proved dead simple to be in a monogamous one-to-one with Oliver. We loved each other, enjoyed all that the relationship brought with it, and I never once considered going outside for a quick takeaway, nor did we ever discuss opening things up to third parties. That's just how it was. Simple. But now things were new and different and not simple at all. Pedro and I were clearly moving towards something significant, increasing speed like a log in a river heading to the waterfall, or the smouldering fuse of a bomb soon to explode. We asked each other the difficult question, do you want us to be monogamous, and got the reply, I'm not sure. Do you? Maybe it's too soon. Maybe it is. Or is it? It was a moral dilemma, a question of ethics, and, as we know— The only way is ethics. Until mutual consent brought the portcullis clanging down on our freedom, we both retained the right to do what we wanted, while still feeling simultaneously peeved at the other doing the same. Don't ask, don't tell seemed to be the best policy as we saw more of each other, but were wary of catching or being caught out. Even how was your day might be too probing a question, revealing an assignation neither of us wanted to reveal or have divulged to us we created a complex pattern to dance around one another, a transition tango. Giuseppe got in touch. Was I free for lunch? I'd been hoping for a repeat prescription from the man in the condom booth at the clinic, but now, with Pedro around, I wasn't sure. Was this allowed? But he was so beautiful, and so nearby. And Pedro and I had deliberately not declared exclusivity, so so it was a yes from me. I said I'd cook us something, but in fact dashed to Pret and got us a fish pie and a macaroni-cheese thing. He wasn't coming to me just for the food. I showered and took a blue pill. Giuseppe turned up. He looked gorgeous. We had a hug and sat down to eat. We chatted about him, his work, his health, and so on. Not a single question from him to me. And then he said softly, We split up. His boyfriend had packed up and gone, owing Giuseppe a lot of money. It sounded so tough, but he was calm and pragmatic, and hungry. He stuffed great mouthfuls of fish pie into his pretty mouth, sometimes leaving a blob of mayonnaise on his lip. The beer disappeared too. After exactly thirty minutes he said, Well, I have to go. He got up. I asked for a hug. I said, Giuseppe, whenever I see you, "'I just want to rip your clothes off.' "'Really?' he said, amazed. "'Yes, really.' And he was off, to his complicated, unfair life. I did the washing up with a hard-on. He had come to me just for the food. That afternoon Nathan dropped in for a chat and to use the shower between his peripatetic massage appointments. I got him up to speed on my busy sex life, and mentioned Pedro. He got excited for me. I liked the fact that he felt comfortable enough to walk around naked. I complimented him on his nice big balls. It felt fine to do so, very matter-of-fact and honest, as I would if he'd bought a new sweatshirt. It also occurred to me how far I'd travelled since that first sex-with-grouting date I'd had with Nathan years earlier. I had to hurry Nathan away as I had Rico coming round. Now, Rico was a handsome young man from Costa Rica. He looked so cute with his dark eyes, square jaw and wavy hair. His skin tone was lovely and his cock looked enormous. We would grinded earlier and not quite succeeded in getting together for one reason or another. He would let me down a couple of times and I thought he might be making up porkies about this school he mentioned. Oh, he wasn't a boy, he was around thirty— but I was more than half suspecting he wouldn't turn up. Serves me right for being so sceptical. There he was at the tube station at the appointed hour. Slighter than I expected, and somehow less—what? Less exciting. I'm sorry, I'm a shallow bastard, but it's the truth. No doubt he was thinking the same about me. We hugged and walked to my place, chatting all the time. He chatted on, I chipped in— He was at school studying English in Ealing, and was obviously keen to practice his skills, which were pretty impressive. He used a subjunctive more than once, and said, "'None of them is,' which delighted me, and more than made up for his not being as sexy as I hoped. He carried on talking, quite a lot, as we sat on the sofa. I was due to meet Pedro later at the theatre, so I invited Rico to take a shower before the massage, and while he was in the bathroom I texted Pedro, "'I'm going to turn off my phone for an hour,' Don't be alarmed. I didn't say because I'm with a guy. I didn't say I wasn't. But the fact that I was shouldn't alarm him in itself. I hoped the way I'd phrased it was ambiguous enough to reassure him without giving too much away. Damn, this was proving to be a wobbly tightrope, and my sense of balance had never been that good. I was hoping to avoid another experience like the concert the other week. It was so chilly the South Bank might just as well have been a South Pole— Pedro and I were in this demilitarised zone, where there were, we agreed, no restrictions on movement, but we both felt restricted. How to negotiate the trip-wires? One of the rules was, there are no rules. Right, so that's clear, then. Rico came out of the shower and lay down for the massage. I was efficient and thorough, no corners cut, but I had one eye on the clock and one eye on the cock— which I now discovered had been photographed from a very flattering angle. OK, OK, we've all done it, holding the phone down between our thighs. It creates excitement at first, followed by disappointment. But his was nice enough. We kissed. He was passionate, I was delighted to discover. Then we moved on to the bed. I'd already told him I had to leave for the theatre at half-past five, so when my alarm went off at five-twenty, I felt this was all in accordance with the T's and C's. I had ten minutes to get ready and head out. But I heard myself saying, just before I go, may I? May I? I turned him over, and rimmed him. Wonderful. Time was ticking, my tongue was licking, but my conscience was pricking. And my prick was, well, I'd taken a blue pill, so you can imagine. I entered him, my mind screaming, no! No! while my dick was shouting, "'Yes!' I fucked him for about five minutes, but I knew I wasn't going to allow myself to come. In my muddled-up brain, my pathetic attempt to stay vaguely in touching distance of moral high ground was to draw a line between being inside and making a deposit. As I say, pathetic and desperate. I felt compromised, culpable and penitent. I stopped. We dressed. I tidied the room as much as I could in one minute— We walked to the tube, Rico used English idioms with panache, and I only corrected him once over, I have visited to the Tower of London. His travel card wouldn't work, and I realised why. He didn't have enough credit. He tried to disguise the fact, and said he'd walk as he was only travelling a few stops, but I insisted on putting some money on his card. He was going to press the button for five pounds, but I moved his hand across. No, Rico. Ten pounds. We went to the platform together and took a train south. We were still chatting, relaxed and friendly. His station was before mine. We hugged and kissed before he left the train. All very jolly and comfortable. Well, I think Rico was. I was a seething turmoil of befuddled remorse. I met Pedro and we went to the theatre. The play was so-so, but it felt good to hold hands with him. We had a meal afterwards in a cold and empty restaurant, then went our separate ways, kissing like teenagers, as he said later on the platform. At no point did he ask me why I'd turned off my phone, or how my day had been. We were perfecting our choreography. It was less like a tango than capoeira, moving together, but not together, in sync, but apart, relating, but not committing. Oh, fuck, this was difficult. (music) Jan reappeared. Sweet man, nice smile. He really fancied Angelo and put serious effort into snogging him, but I guess my proximity to his office must have come into the reckoning. It can't have been raining that day, or he wouldn't have braved the 100 metres walk. Uncertain what was allowed for me and Pedro, I dithered, but there had been no declaration of monogamy, and as I have a spine made of jelly, I invited Jan over. Hi, hi, chat, wine, laugh, shower. Massage, kiss, suck, cock, bum, cum, chat, whine, hug, bye, bye. Do you get the sense that my heart wasn't in it? "'Jaunty, how's your work going?' came the message. "'Fine, thanks,' I replied. "'So, when am I going to see you?' as if I was the one playing hard to get. Boy was back. He, as it turned out, would be the opposite bookend to Nathan, the last of the line, the end of gaze, the final pants down. He was due to go to the gym at 7am. Good grief! So why didn't he come to my place at nine for breakfast? I explained that I wasn't a morning person, and he said, ''Don't worry, I can bring you breakfast in bed. How about a sausage?'' Well, I can never resist a cheap gag, as you know, I said yes. But with trepidation, was this permitted under the terms of almost engagement? Did I need to come clean or muddy the waters? If I offered boy a massage, since we hadn't done that before, could I keep it ethical? I got up to get ready for his arrival. I showered and deliberately didn't take a blue pill, hoping we could keep things non-sexual. Ha, ha, bloody ha. When he arrived, I buzzed him in and he came up to the third floor. We beamed warm smiles and, bizarrely, shook hands. He came inside and I went to give him a hug, but at that moment he was bending to take off his shoes. This wasn't going well. He didn't want tea or coffee or anything to eat. Just water. Carbonated? No. Tap. Such a clean living boy was boy. We sat and talked about all kinds of things—his work, family, college, swimming, travel, films, art, fashion, politics, you name it. We didn't flirt or talk about us, what we had done when we met before. I talked about writing a book covering my year on the dating apps and said, and it will end along the lines of, then I met someone I really cared about. Did he think I meant him?' I told him about Pedro, how we'd met, what we'd done, the rouse and the growing sense of something significant developing. I said we were dating, wondering if soon I'd be off the apps and trying to negotiate an exclusive relationship. Boy said he was so pleased for me that I deserved someone really special. I touched his leg once or twice to emphasise a point. Who am I kidding? I touched his leg once or twice because I fancied the pants off him. I referred to his belief that he might be asexual. Boy said he'd done nothing with anyone since our erotic naked snuggle on his bed. He said he'd been going through a difficult time, and thought he'd now sorted it out, but that's why he hadn't been in touch. I was monitoring myself the whole time. Did I or didn't I want something physical to happen? Yes. Did I give myself permission? Almost. Did I feel guilty? Oh, yes. Check the small print. It's still okay in theory. But the window of opportunity was closing. I drove the conversation in the direction I wanted it to go, gently, like herding a compliant animal. I told Boy how much I'd enjoyed our last meeting. He touched me on the knee. Something pent up was released in that moment. He went to the bathroom. Then I went. In the hall we were standing close, smiling at each other. I consciously let an awkward silence develop, and eventually said very quietly, Now, boy, I wonder what you actually want. Why don't we, he said slowly, why don't we recreate our previous encounter? I replied, I am so pleased you said that. We hugged and stepped into the bedroom. I undressed him. He was rock hard. He was about to lie down on the bed, but I drew back the duvet so we could get under it and snuggle down together. He pulled me on top of him, and once again we kissed and gazed into each other's eyes in silence. It was as lovely as before. Lovely, but... In my head I heard my voice of conscience repeating, Pedro, Pedro. Last time, when I'd made a move for Boy's Cock, he had said... I'd rather not. This time he'd rather I did. So I did. We spent perhaps half an hour exploring each other quietly and tenderly. It felt there was a lot of heart involved care and respect and wonder. I praised so much of him, but he shrugged off my compliments his eyes, hair, lips, ears, his amazing jawline. It's just there, he said chest, back, legs, cock, impressive balls. They are just there. But spectacularly so. I was gushing. Too much, almost, certainly. It became more and more charged. The oral sex became mutual. This was a new level. You've done this before, I said. Only once, he replied. If I had permission, if it had been pre-Pedro, who knows? But I was aware that I was willing my alarm to ring, to alert me to an appointment I needed to attend— to get me off the horns of this horny dilemma, as I didn't have the backbone to do it myself. Boy whispered, Jaunty, I want you to be the first one inside me. I nearly exploded with pride and lust, but an alarm went off. No, literally, my alarm went off, the sound of crickets summoning me. He sighed. I have a lecture anyway. We kissed a final time. We dressed We left together and hugged on the street. Speak soon, I said. Yes, said Boy, and see you soon too. He walked off. I felt elated and irredeemably wicked at once. This quandary couldn't last. I needed clarity and to start behaving like a grown-up. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production.